Greetings in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. This uh, Lord's Day morning, I um, enjoyed the things that have been shared here already, and I can say that uh, we're going to continue right on down the same train of thought in this part of the service that we had in the devotional. So I suppose the Lord had this for us today. I marvel at those things many times. You can turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. And maybe I'll make a few comments before we read that scripture. We're, uh, we're approaching the close, rapidly approaching the close of another year and the dawning of a new year. And, uh, Perhaps it's somewhat natural to reflect a bit at a time like that. Um, and reflection is good. At least it, it can be good. doesn't say it's always good, but uh, reflection can be good. can be good for us to reflect on our journey of life to reflect on a year, to reflect on uh, on uh, our walk with God. And of course, at the uh, introduction or the dawn of a new year, it can be good to uh, purpose, to perhaps uh, gain ground in the coming year. Those uh, those can be good things. Now, my message isn't necessarily directed that way, and yet it does actually lend itself uh, to that a bit, which you might uh, discover as we move along. <clears throat> Let's read John chapter 10, beginning in verse 7, and reading through verse 11. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out, and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. If you are able, let's stand together and take a moment and pray. 
Father, thank you again this morning. Thank you for the scriptures that we have readily available to us. We can read them in an open way here this morning. Thank you for the freedom to gather undisturbed by those in authority and the rulers of the land. Thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for each one gathered here today. Today again ask, Father, that your spirit would minister to us. You who understand each one of us, understand our journey, understand our day-to-day life experiences and our victories and our failures. You who are the Lord of all, we ask again today that your word would become a living word to us, that you would speak to us, that you would uh, use your word to spur us on the journey, Lord. So bless us today, Father. Bless this assembly. Pour out your spirit upon all of us. And may you be glorified in our lives here today and in this service and in all that is done and said. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the verse that we will focus on most this morning is actually verse 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And then Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And we have in that verse a very, very keen contrast. And it was in uh, this uh, past November's Bible School at Harmony that uh, this verse was read by one of the teachers. Uh, I don't think there was a lot of comment made on it, but the phrase or the uh, the uh, thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy, that stood out to me in that reading and uh, I've uh, pondered it and meditated on it and actually taught on it since that time. Uh, and so today I'd like to again take up this subject and talk about the objective of the thief. Now, We are going to focus on the thief a fair bit through the message, but we're not going to finish on uh, on that note because there's a better note to end on, and that is the Good Shepherd. So I'd like to talk a bit about the objective of the thief, and uh, if uh, we're wondering what the word objective might mean, it simply means his aim, his intention, his... uh, his goals, his uh, uh, intent. He has a. I guess. Uh, I guess I don't have to convince us that there is a thief and that uh, he has a, a plan. Uh, as I was thinking about it a bit and sharing here, I uh, I know there was a message shared and Brother Bill Wheeler shared uh, just the last message he shared. I was not here for it, but I listened to it and I'm not remembering totally the, uh, his uh, ob- his uh, thrust of the message, but I think it had to do with uh, the warfare and the and the battleground and the, and the enemy. And uh, in a sense, uh, 
We're looking a bit at that same context again today, that same idea. There's a thief, and he has an objective. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's not passive about his objectives. He's, in fact, very aggressive. <clears throat> so in this verse, there are three uh, different, uh, I guess you would, could call them players in the game. Uh, we have, uh, and maybe we could put those on the board. We have the thief. Uh, we have... We have, uh, Jesus uses these words. He says, I am come that they might have life. So we have they. Uh, we have I am, which is Jesus. And we have the thief. Spell that one wrong. <laughs> Didn't look right. It still don't look right. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Anyhow, and uh, the they is us, and we have Jesus over here. And uh, we have the devil, who is the thief. And interestingly enough, uh, both of these have their focus on on us. Both have an interest in in us. Both have uh, both have a, a goal. Both have an objective, actually. Uh, so, today we're going to talk a little bit about the objective of a thief, and then we'll uh, finish it up with a, a little more of the objective of the Lord Jesus, <clears throat> as it's given in this verse. So, when we think about uh, the thief, the first thing it says about him is that he's come to steal. What does it mean to steal? Has anyone ever, well, did you ever steal? Has anyone ever stolen from you? What does it mean to steal? In short, it simply means to take away that which is yours or could be yours. And we'll talk about that, give that more definition as we go. He wants to take away that which is yours or that which could be yours. The thief does. That's his objective. And we will try to uh, give more definition to, to what that actually is later in the message. But uh, uh, it's a little hard to know sometimes what to put first, what to present first. But uh, first of all, we'll just consider him as a thief and what he actually wants to steal. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew thirteen nineteen to give a little uh, context to that thought. Matthew thirteen nineteen. This is the uh, parable of the sower. Jesus says this, When one heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one 
and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. So we have the wicked one coming and catching it away. You might say he stealing it. And in fact, I think it even gives a little clearer reference. There's three Gospels, uh, Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that all have a word to say about this uh, sower. And in Mark, it's in Mark 4.15, where we have the same uh, verse with just a slightly different wording. Mark 4.15, and these are they by the wayside when the word is sown, where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Remember the definition for a th- to steal is to take away. So the, the Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in their hearts. And Luke, it says this way, Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. <clears throat> so uh, remember, I said, take away that which is yours or could be yours. Not only uh, is he, well, in this in this scripture, in uh, in Luke there particularly, uh, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So it could be yours. You know, if you're not saved today, when the word of God comes to you. And it offers you the blessing of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. It offers you the blessing of sins forgiven. It offers you the blessing of, of peace in your heart. It offers you, uh, it offers you hope in life and purpose in life. It offers you many, many things. But the thief doesn't want you to enjoy that. He doesn't want you to experience that. And so he comes and steals the word away so that you don't have that blessing and that benefit and that uh, uh, enjoy the, the, the privileges of salvation. <clears throat> and so that's the picture that we have of, a, of a, he's come to steal. He's come to take it away. He's come to snatch it away before you can... Before you can uh, uh, let it sink into your heart and let it uh, uh, change your life. Uh, he And, you know, we could have a discussion on how he does that. And that's not necessarily part of my objective this morning, but uh, that would be an interesting uh, discussion there. How the thief does steal away the word. What for thoughts he brings up in a person's heart at that point where the word of God is speaking uh, that the devil interjects those thoughts of who knows what in order to uh, snatch away the word and 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 move the person away from the conviction that uh, is has come upon their heart because of the word. <clears throat> so the thief, the devil, is the thief, and he wants to steal away the that opportunity uh, to to an abundant life. Uh, my thoughts went to. Uh, Psalm 1, where it talks about um, uh, the man that uh, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. 
But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he is like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And he goes on to talk about the ungodly are not so, but just focusing on the the blessing that is presented there in Psalm 1 of the godly person. Uh, and the and the thief is is out to steal that blessing away is out to steal that opportunity away is out to steal uh that uh, away from you so that it's not a part of your experience so that uh, you can enjoy the blessing of it <clears throat> and as we continue um, to unpack this these thoughts I'd like us to ponder this thought just briefly you know sometimes we may not even be aware that the thief is at work. Sometimes we may not even be aware that he's trying to snatch something away from us. Some, we may not be aware that he's trying to, to uh, uh, do something to move us away from that blessed experience that the, and reality that the Lord has for us. Uh, it, it can actually be that way sometimes. We, we once, some years back, had a, uh, we were the... Uh, the victims of a thief, and we didn't know it. We didn't know it until the police returned the goods that he had stolen. Um, in that particular situation, it was out of my shop, and it was things that, uh, if I didn't couldn't find them, I just wondered where I left them. <laughs> and uh, one day, a police officer comes by and has a has my old shotgun and a crowbar, and he says, "Somebody stole these things out of my shop." Some time ago, and they had fessed up and told the police where they got them. Otherwise, I, I'm not sure when I would have actually missed them. But uh, so sometimes the thief is at work, and we don't even realize it. So let's keep that in mind as we as we uh, discuss these things. So we've we've uh, we've talked a bit about what does it mean to steal. Let's consider uh, secondly the fact of what does the thief want to steal. We've looked at it somewhat, but let's look at it even more. Uh, the question is: can be asked, what is he attacking? What is he trying to destroy? Uh, what is he after? Uh, what is it that he wants to uh, take away from us? And the short answer to that question is simply the abundant life that Jesus intended us to experience. You know, there in uh, in uh, John 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So the short, quick answer is that the thief wants to steal away the opportunity for that abundant life. Or if we are experiencing the abundant life, he'd like to... Uh, somehow derail us, that uh, he can move us away. Uh, we'll give more definition of that as we go. Uh, let's think for a moment. <clears throat> think for a moment, uh, Adam and Eve uh, in the garden. Their experience in the garden before the thief came. Their experience was an experience of peace. It was an experience of joy. It was an experience of blessing. It was tranquility. It was restfulness. It was uh, fellowship with God. It was everything good that you can imagine. It was all there in their experience in the garden. And along comes the thief. 
and consider their experience after their encounter with the thief. And they uh, he he managed to dece- deceive them. He managed to uh, he managed to manipulate and work his way into their experience to the point of stealing away their their beautiful reality that they were in, uh, experiencing. And in its place came fear, shame. Uh, not too far down the road, there was envy and murder and all sorts of uh, things that come into the scene after the thief managed to steal away their uh, reality. So, what does the thief want to steal? There we have a biblical uh, picture of, of where it actually, where it happened, how it happened. If we, if we were, were to go to Galatians 5, and we, maybe we can turn there and just refer to these scriptures a bit. Galatians 5 gives us a picture of the reality of the works of the flesh. And also, the reality of the fruit of the Spirit in a person's life. And we can look at those and, and just contrast how different they are and how different, uh, how different a life on one hand who, that is governed by the works of the flesh and on the other hand a life that is governed by the Spirit and how starkly different they are. Uh, we have the works of the flesh in verse 19 of chapter 5 of Galatians. Our adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatreds, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. So that's the list uh the, of uh, of the the works of the flesh, and then in verse twenty two, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. Those that upper list. Uh, so we have those contrasting, and I don't think uh, I think all of us, you know, we. Maybe even in our own lives, we know how different it once was when we walked in the flesh versus now, today, if we're walking in the Spirit. Or we know someone who is walking in the flesh. Or we look in our society around us and see all the, uh, the, the chaos and mess that is created as people walk in the flesh. And then we also consider uh, those, you know, we don't even have to consider ourselves, but just consider others who we appreciate, who we know are walking in the Spirit, walking with God as the best of their ability and so forth. Uh, not perfect, but, you know. And we can contrast those two different things and realize how starkly different, uh, how starkly different the, uh, the uh, life is when it's led by the Spirit versus by the flesh. You know, uh, just take a home. Uh, 
take any average home in, in our midst or in, even in our uh, uh, Anabaptist communities, take any, uh, or, you know, not even just our Anabaptist communities, but in, even in other Christian communities that are God-fearing and are obeying the scriptures. Just take any average home and uh, consider that one versus uh, your, your, I'll just use the term inner city where there's a lot of godlessness and broken lives and which one would you want to live in? And why? You know, if we had a choice, I think we'd all choose the one that where the fear of God is present, where the uh, spirit of God is at work, because there's so much more uh, uh, peacefulness and uh, a lot less uh, painful, should be at least, a lot less painful situations of divorce and remarriage and, and fighting and shooting and, you know, you name it, in, uh, in uh, some of those... Uh, Godless situations. And I simply lay all that out here for again for us to recognize that the devil doesn't want us. He doesn't want any of us to experience that uh, blessing of a home, of a community, of a church, of a yeah a community even outside of us. But a community of people where the spirit of God is at work and uh, he wants to steal it away. He wants to take it away from any one of us if he could. Uh, that's his objective, to steal away those opportunities for, for uh, us to experience the blessing of spirit-filled life, experience the uh, blessings of, of uh, God-fearing homes, experience the blessing of church uh, fellowship and all those kind of things, peaceful church fellowship. <clears throat> so he has an objective uh, to steal those things away from us. Let's go on. The next uh, point I'd like us to consider is how does he steal those opportunities away from us? Uh, Back to John. We notice that the second characteristic that is given is that to kill. I'm going to spend a little bit of time considering this. He, uh, the first thing he would like to do is to kill us. He came to steal and to kill. Uh, like to uh, talk about this a little bit. He comes to kill. What does it mean to kill? Uh, what, uh, you know, uh, if you, if, if somebody, if somebody is killed, they're dead. You know, uh, God told Adam and Eve in the garden, if you eat thereof, you will die. So these are terms that are ex- kind of defining all the same thing. You know, the thief came to kill. He, 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 he went into that garden with an objective to kill Adam and Eve. God said, when you eat, you're going to die. It happened. The thief did manage to kill him. Now, what is it? What does it mean to, to die? What does it mean to, to kill? When someone is dead, do they cease to exist? Is that just the end of it? I once had a gentleman... Uh, tell me emphatically that when he dies, he's going to go into the ground. His body is going to be put in the ground and that is it. There's going to be nothing after that. And I guess he believes it to this day yet. At this point, he hasn't, uh, as far as I'm aware of, he's still uh, alive. 
But is that, does that, is that true? Is that, uh, when someone is dead, do they cease to exist? Did Adam and Eve cease to exist? And we know they didn't. <clears throat> God told them they would die. The day came and they ate. But they still existed. However, there was something that happened. And that's something, and, uh, uh, in Adam and Eve's experience and in our experience uh, or in people's experience when they die, there's a similar uh, thing takes place. And that is when a person dies, yes, they still cease to exist, but there is a separation. Their spirit and their body separate. They're no longer occupying the same space. When Adam and Eve died, there was a separation. Separation between them and their God. So death is not, this, uh, is not the end of existence. Rather, death is a separation. Your body and your spirit are separated. And one goes down and the other goes up, as they say. To, to, to meet God. And in Adam and Eve, there was a separation. They, uh, their fellowship, their relationship with their God, with their Creator that they had so much enjoyed was severed, broken, separated. And they were no longer living in that reality. So when the thief wants to kill, his objective is to bring separation. Just like he did for Adam and Eve, his objective is to bring separation. So, uh, he wants to steal. How does he accomplish? He wants to steal. He wants to take away the beautiful realities that could be ours, hopefully are, most of us. He wants to take them away. How does he do it? Bring a separation. We'll try to define that more as we go. He wants to bring a separation, and we want to we want to uh, ask the question: why, Where does do you think he would bring that separation? But before we answer that question, we want to look at uh, at the. Uh, the question that Jesus presents here, or it's not necessarily presented as a question, but we like to raise it as a question. He says, I am come that they might have life. And so we'd like to ask the question, what is life? So Jesus is come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And after we've examined what life is, then we'd like to go back again and see how the thief when works at bringing uh trying to bring an end to that life that Jesus has purchased for us. So, we have that verse in, in John 10.10, 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I'm come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. What does Jesus mean? That they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Turn to John 15, and we'll get a picture of life, and an abundant life. 
John 15, 1 to 8. We could actually read more. We might refer to more, but let's begin with reading 1 to 8. I am the true vine. My father is a husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Do you suppose that that verse there, the verse 4 and 5, do you suppose that that would be speaking of the abundant life that Jesus was referring to when he said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Seems like that ought to be an abundant life, shouldn't it? That Jesus was speaking of. If a man abide not in me, verse 6, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Maybe I'll read verse 9 and 10 yet. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We could just keep going, but we'll stop there. Notice all the uh, the words of, of uh, connection, I guess you would say. You know, abide in me and I in you. He that abideth in me and I in him. If a man abide not in me. Of course, giving the contrast. Verse 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you. Uh, verse 9, as, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Uh, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. You know, the, 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 the words, they're just, they're just, uh, uh, connection, connection, connection. They're, they're, uh, abiding, uh, us in Him and He in us. Uh, it just, it, it, and, it, and it's a picture, I believe, of abundant life that uh, Jesus says that he, he uh, came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. <clears throat> so if, if, uh, if death is separation, then is it, is it scriptural to say that life is connection? <laughs> Being vitally connected to the Lord, abiding in Him. And he in us, uh, walking with him, and he walking with us, uh, obeying him, and 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 following him. Uh, it's it's a uh, what is life? It's a connection. It's it's uh, it's uh, you know you might say it's what Adam and Eve lost. They lost the connection. They lost the fellowship with their Creator, with their God, and. Uh, 
Life is that connection restored again. And Jesus did come to give us that life. He came to, to make it possible for us to get that connection back again. To, to get in fellowship with our Creator, with our God. To again abide in Him. To again walk with Him. To again live in that reality. That is, uh, that is what our Lord came to do. And so, to finish up the, uh, a little bit on the thought of the thief and uh, what he wants to steal away, he has one goal. And his goal is to keep that connection from happening in the lives of individuals. And if that connection is already in place, he has a goal to somehow sever that connection and break it down again. Because he knows that is our life. If we are abiding in the Lord Jesus, we are connected and we are in Him and He in us and, and that connection is there. He, he knows that's our existence. And if He can somehow sever that, bring a separation, drive us apart, and, uh, then we could ask the question, so then how does He do it? What does He do? How does He bring that separation? <clears throat> What are his, uh, what are his plots, we might say, to accomplish his goals? There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and maybe I'll just read it here. It says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So there we have uh, the thought given of blinding the minds. Uh, it's probably the same idea that was given there in, in the Gospels with the sower and the seed that fell uh, in the wayside and how the devil snatches it up, takes it away. He, likes to, he, he endeavors to blind our hearts to the truth. You know, the truth about our own lives, the truth about our sin, uh, the truth about our need, and the truth about the solution to our sin, the truth about uh, Christ and uh, the forgiveness of sin that is available and the peace that can be ours and, uh, and the joy. He does everything he can to blind our hearts to that reality and uh, keep us in darkness and to keep us uh, from experiencing the light of Jesus Christ in our hearts. <clears throat> in 1 John 2, verse 11, the scripture says, But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh, walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. And still kind of focusing on the thought of our eyes being blinded, and that... Uh, that we can, if we have uh, hatred in our heart toward our fellow man, and we feel like it's not a problem, it's okay that we have this hatred, then the scripture tells us that our hearts are blinded, our eyes are blinded. We're not seeing as we should. The enemy has blinded our hearts to the reality and truth about this matter. And uh, that's a problem. That's a problem we need to look at. Uh, yeah, if we, uh, if there's someone in our lives that we are, we hate, 
there's a pit, there's a feeling in the pit of our stomach every time we see him, you know, that <clears throat> there's a problem. Hebrews talks about it this way, looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Again, recognizing that the thief uses those kind of things to uh, blind our hearts and, and keep our hearts blinded to truth. And, uh, and so that we won't, wouldn't experience the beautiful realities of Christ. And then in 1 John 2.15, another uh, familiar scripture, I believe, to many of us. Uh, 1 John 2.15 talks about the world. And we talk about how the enemy, what he uses to try to bring that separation. First uh, John 2.15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. The world passes away, the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And that's a big subject, uh, but it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a very pertinent one to the Christian and the thief trying to snatch away the beautiful reality of Christ and that connection. Uh, Jesus in his prayer talked about uh, in John 17, not taking them out of the world, but keeping them from the evil. So we know that uh, we know that uh, living in an evil, wicked world, a wicked generation, a wicked society, that is part of the plan that God has. He has a plan to keep us in that. But the enemy obviously has a goal and an effort to try to use that to destroy our connection with God, to destroy our reality. And uh, there are uh, pitfalls by the multitudes in this old world that we live in. Uh, yeah, there, uh, and it only intensifies and becomes more... Uh, more, uh, more. What's the word? In our day, with the with the uh, with the electronic um, propelling of everything, it just becomes so much more accessible. Let's say it that way, and we know that, and is something that we have to reckon with in our journey and in our experience. We live today. We didn't. We're not. We didn't live a generation or three back there uh, before today's age. Uh, God intends to to uh, make a way for us uh, to walk with him in the middle of today's world and uh, be wise regarding it and uh, be overcomers. That's God's intent. In Matthew 13.22, we have uh, the scripture about uh, the cares of life. Uh, the uh, I'm just going to turn to that one. Matthew 13.22 Also, the the uh, parable of the sower, he's saying here, He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. And so there's another uh, picture of how the the world and its cares and its 
deceitfulness of wealth and all those kind of things, how the enemy wants to use them to to uh, bring that separation, uh, bring that death uh, between us and our God. <clears throat> so there's a there's a multitude of ways uh, that the enemy works, and uh, we certainly haven't exhausted that here this morning. I'd like to go on now and just consider the last phrase there where it says that he has come to destroy, uh, come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. In uh, in Second Thessalonians, uh, read uh, turning to Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse six to nine. And the context here is uh, destruction. We're talking about how he wants to destroy. He came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we have the context of destruction here in these verses. In, uh, beginning in verse 6 of First Thessalonians 1, or rather Second Thessalonians 1, verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And so here we have, uh, Kind of the the description of a reality that would take place when our Lord Jesus comes again and uh, and kind of gives a final reckoning to things in this old world and and uh, moving on into uh, the next and there are those who will uh, uh, he says he'll take vengeance on them that don't know God that do not obey the gospel who shall be punished with an everlasting destruction. You know, the thief, he has come to destroy. Uh, there's another uh, scripture in Matthew 25, verse 41. Uh, Matthew 25 has several. I'll just read two verses there. And I'll just, uh, Matthew 25:41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then later in verse 46, And these shall go away in everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. <clears throat> Read all of that to get the context here. You know, the, the, uh, uh, there are those who are going to need to depart from the presence of God and go to everlasting fire that was in fact prepared for the devil and his angels. And the devil, the thief, he's come to, to, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He knows his, his destiny. He knows he's doomed. He knows that his, his end is going to be eternal destruction. His objective is to keep as many of us, or to take as many of us, there with him. To keep us, to keep our hearts blinded. To keep us in a place of, of, uh, or to keep our hearts blinded. To keep our hearts, uh, to keep people in places of deception. 
to keep people in sin, to keep them in bitterness, to hold them in in uh, their sin and in uh, in their uh, iniquity, and to hold them there until it's too late, until they've either passed from this life into eternity, or until the Lord Jesus comes and, and the final chapter wraps up. He, his objective is to keep us in that uh, uh, in that unsaved condition, in that disconnected condition, in that severed condition, uh, to keep us there until it's too late, until we have no opportunity to repent anymore, and uh, and we become uh, we experience with him that eternal destruction. He's come to destroy. His goal is that is his end objective. To, to uh, dist- uh, get as many uh, and take them with him into that destruction that he knows is his end. <clears throat> and so that's his, his objective. However, he is limited. Like Jesus says, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. We have a, uh, we have a, we do not need to be, uh, his pawn, you know, the devil, the thief. Uh, he's been, uh, he's been over, he's been overtaken. He's been, uh, there's a greater than him that has come. And uh, we have opportunities that uh, that uh, we can be delivered from his power. In John, First John, rather, First John five, just a few verses here regarding the Lord Jesus. Verse 18, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. You know, uh, there is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. There is a place of, of, uh, of uh, you know, we, like was said earlier, we don't need to live in fear uh, of this thief. But neither should we live in carelessness. Because he is a reality. There's there's many people live uh, that do not have fear that should have fear. Uh, they're living in carelessness and in sin and and feel uh, and have a, a false assurance uh, in their a false hope of heaven. Uh, they should have fear. But uh, we, uh, if we walk with God and are have that connection with God, we need not fear. Uh, in uh, yeah. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. I love that verse. Um, we know that the Son of God has is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him. We may 
have that connection with him. We may abide in him and he in us. He has come and made all of that possible. That we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true. Even in his son Jesus Christ. Thank God for that reality. Uh, We need not fear uh, the thief. Because we know that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true. Even in his son Jesus Christ. If we are to the best of our abilities walking with the Lord. And I say to the best of our abilities because none of us is perfect. None of us are faultless. But if we are walking with the Lord and have that connection and are endeavoring to maintain that connection and are keeping our lives up to date with God and uh, uh, dealing with issues that might come up in our experience. If we are there, we need not fear the thief. But we do well to recognize, again, that the thief is a real uh, reality in the world. And uh, he won't uh, he won't let up or give up until he is put away by the Lord Jesus. And we don't want to be careless. So, amen. A time of reflection, perhaps. How was the past year? How was my walk? How was my connection? Was it vital? Was it real? How is it going to be in the year to come? Am I going to continue to nurture that relationship, that connection with the Lord Jesus, that, uh, that I don't need to fear the thief, but uh, that I continue to walk in the, in the beauty of, of holiness? <clears throat> Perhaps we could close with prayer. If you are able, kneel together. Father, thank you again this morning for the scriptures that we have available to us. What would we do if we wouldn't be able to pick up the word of God and be instructed from it and allow it to challenge our hearts? And Father, thank you. Thank you again for each one that is present here today and ask your blessing on each one. May your spirit minister and move us along in our journey. Father, you love and care for each one in this room. And you have a purpose and you have a plan. Uh, I pray that uh, this service could in some way uh, and the things that have been shared here today in this service could in some way be of help in uh, uh, strengthening our faith, strengthening our faith in the Lord Jesus, giving us an awareness of uh, the reality of life and its uh, uh, the, uh, the reality that it is a battleground. We are in a battleground and that... Uh, And the reality that we have uh, in the Lord Jesus, we have all the security that is needed. If we abide in him, we walk in him, he abides in us. Thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for the blood, Father, that was shed at Calvary, for the remission of sins. Thank you for the resurrection where Jesus rose from the dead and that we can rise with him to a new life. Thank you for all those opportunities and possibilities that are available to us, Lord. Thank you again. Bless each one and keep us in your care, Father, we ask in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.